So let's jump into the scripture together. When I was uh, seven years old, I received probably the most important gift I have ever received. It was a Christmas gift from my parents. And uh, what I wanted when I was seven years old, what I wanted for Christmas, probably more than anything, was a guitar. I wanted a guitar to play and to sing music. I love music, my, uh, and, and I got my love of music primarily through my dad. Uh, my dad loves music too, and I remember uh, sitting down and listening to music with him, either on the radio or at home, and listening to his vinyls that he had. He had these 45s, a whole bunch of them. And we listened to a lot of 70s, 60s, 70s, singer-songwriter, classic rock, country western kind of music. So I grew up listening to uh, Jackson Brown and the Eagles and Pure Prairie League and these kinds of folks. So growing up, I was always hearing these great songwriters uh, write these songs and thinking about the words. My dad would sing us some of the songs when we'd go to bed, those types of things. And so music was really important to me growing up. And I wanted a guitar because I wanted to sing and write songs and play music. Well, when I was seven and I really wanted this guitar for Christmas, uh, it came to pass that my parents weren't going to get me that guitar. They didn't get me a guitar for Christmas, unfortunately. Um, but my sister, my older sister, she's two years older than I am, she knew that I wasn't going to get a guitar for Christmas. And it was to her great pleasure that I wasn't going to get a guitar. And she couldn't help herself, but she let it slip before Christmas that I wasn't going to get a guitar for Christmas. And of course, I was devastated by this. And of course, my older sister was delighted in my devastation. I was devastated that I wasn't going to get a guitar. And of course, I carried on the whole thing. Well, my parents, um, in order to uh, show that they loved me and to spite my older sister, they somehow at the 11th hour located and purchased a little acoustic guitar for me. So my sister and I headed downstairs on Christmas morning at my aunt's house where we celebrated Christmas. And there, leaning up against the wall, was an acoustic guitar for me for Christmas. I was shocked. My sister was shocked. And my parents were pleased, right, that I was so happy and my sister was spited in that moment uh, for being an older sister. So when I got that guitar, I began to pluck around on it for a couple years. A couple years later, I got an electric guitar um, and a little amp for Christmas. Uh, my parents got me some lessons for a little while, so I learned how to play the guitar. When I got into junior high, I played the guitar more, got some uh, lessons through school, took some classes, and then I also picked up the bass guitar then. And that's when I started playing the bass guitar. And through high school, I played the bass guitar and got some training through school, through our music program um, in jazz bass and those types of things. And so music was super important to me growing up. I was part of band. I was always involved in the music scene at the schools that I was a part of. And um, as I got older into high school, I got back into the acoustic guitar and leading worship. And in fact, when my wife Sarah and I started dating, that was an activity that we did together quite a bit was lead worship. We led worship for the youth group that we were a part of. She has a beautiful singing voice. And so I would play the guitar and she would sing and we would lead our youth group in worship. And then I actually went to college on scholarship to play the bass guitar at college. So music has been integral in my life. It's been huge in my life ever since I was very 
little. And even to this day, the guitar, not the same guitar that I got when I was seven, but I have a uh, shiny new guitar from a few years ago that it hangs on our wall. And even to this day, I still get it down and we play songs and we sing songs and our boys get to hear us playing music and singing music together. Music is central to my life. And when I got that guitar when I was seven years old, it changed my life. My life would not be the same if it wasn't for music. I would not have the same values. I would not have had the same experiences. I would not have had um, all the good things that happened to me throughout my life because of music. I wouldn't have had those if I hadn't received that gift. Some gifts change your life. Some gifts change the trajectory of your life. Now, I don't remember majority of the gifts that I've received on birthdays or Christmas, but I remember that one because it was so important to my life. What we're going to talk about today is a gift like this, a gift that changes our lives if we use it, a gift that has the potential of changing the trajectory of our life. So let's jump into Mark and see, uh, talk about this gift. Mark chapter 2 says this, One Sabbath he, that is Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So we drop into this story, we get the setting. One Sabbath, uh, when we know that the, the Jesus and the disciples were heading to synagogue at this time to go and worship, to hear the word of the Lord and to sing hymns and do a lot what we do here on Sunday mornings. Of course, for them, it was on Saturday. That's when you would go to synagogue. That's when the Sabbath was at this time, was on Saturday. And so one Sabbath, they're going to worship. And the law says that you can't work on the Sabbath. And so they're walking along and the disciples, they're hungry, they're famished. It's kind of a long walk to the synagogue. And so they pluck some grain from the wheat field that they're passing and they eat it. They kind of quench their hunger in this moment. And the Pharisees are there to say, hey, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? So let's talk about the Sabbath for a little bit. The Sabbath um, is probably a word that you've heard. You've probably even used it in your day-to-day life occasionally. But did you know that the Sabbath was the first command of God? Before there were any other laws, before there were any other rules, in fact, before God commanded in Scripture Uh, Adam and Eve not to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, there was a command about the Sabbath. It happens in Genesis chapter 2, the second chapter of the entire story. And this is uh, what we hear at the end of Genesis chapter 1 and in the chapter 2. This is beginning in verse 31 of chapter 1. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. God spends six days spending, uh, he, he spent this time creating the cosmos, filling it with all these animals, all these wonderful things. And he saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all their multitude. He finished creating the cosmos and he finished filling it with the animals. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God spends six days creating, and on the seventh day, he stops, he finished his work, and he rests for what he's done. And immediately after this, God then says that the day, this day, the seventh day, is set aside and is to be sanctified for rest. And as the Old Testament unfolds, he actually 
adds commands to make sure that nobody works on the Sabbath. And it's, they're quite robust commandments. So on the seventh day, which of course would be on a Saturday, he said that no one is supposed to work. There is to be no work done. Nothing productive is supposed to be done. And the reason is because that's what he did. He stopped working and he rested on the seventh day and he enjoyed his creation. He looked at his creation and saw what he had made. So as we read through the Old Testament and it begins to unfold, we hear that not only are the owners of land not supposed to work, but their employees are also not supposed to work. And it's not just the employees, but also the slaves aren't supposed to work. And not only the slaves, but the animals aren't supposed to work. And not just the animals, but the land itself is not to be touched. That on the seventh day, every seventh day, everything stops. The owners, the employees, the slaves, the animals, the land, nothing works. Everything stops. And they began to continue to add on to these rules. God uh, gave all sorts of commands to protect this day. And this was the day where the Israelites would go and they would sacrifice. It was a day set aside so they would stop working so they could worship God. That they could go to temple, they could go to the tabernacle, they could give their sacrifices, and they could attend to God. So they would stop working and they would attend to what God did. This is the Sabbath. And in fact, God even extrapolates more. Not just the seventh day is meant to be set aside, but he actually says the seventh year is meant to be set aside. That every seven years, farmers are supposed to leave their land alone. A field is supposed to be left alone for one whole year. Not to be plowed, not to be seeded, nothing. Just let it rest for a year, every seven years. We jump back into Mark chapter 2. This is why the Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You were not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You were not supposed to harvest grain. So if you're walking along, you're not supposed to pluck the grain and eat it because that's work. Now we know these Pharisees, they were uh, very, very religious individuals. They loved the word of the Lord and they wanted to protect it. And so the Pharisees actually added extra rules on top of the rules that God had given about the Sabbath. And they did this with all kinds of things as well. There are 613 commands that God gives in the Old Testament law. And they would add commands, they would add rules to protect those commands. So for example, they might reason it this way. The, sa- or the law says that you are not supposed to work on the Sabbath. Well, a grown man can pick up 10 pounds and that's not really work. Right, But if a grown man picks up 25 pounds, they kind of have to put a little bit of effort into it, which means that that's work. So what they would say is you can't lift more than 10 pounds on the Sabbath. Makes sense, right? They would make laws, rules to protect the rules. Another rule that they had was uh, you can only walk so many paces from your house. They determined somehow that walking 100 paces wasn't uh, breaking the law, but somehow... Walking 150, well, then your heart rate gets up and you begin to get a little bit tired. So you can't walk more than 100 paces from your house. They would create rules to protect the rules. So God said, do not work. And they began to add all these things on top of it. So the Pharisees were very careful and they were very quick. When they saw Jesus' disciples break the law, they harvested wheat on the Sabbath. They pointed it out and said, hey, they're breaking the law of the Sabbath. This is how Jesus responds. And he, 
Jesus said to them, have you ever read what happened when David did, what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need of food? He entered the house of God when Abiathar was the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he gave some to his companions. So Jesus references a story from 1 Samuel where David is running away from King Saul. And David at this point has been anointed as the new king of, of Judah, the new king of Israel. And he's running away from the present king because the present king wants to kill him. And so David and his crew are running away. They're being chased and they are famished and exhausted and at the door of death. And so they run into the tabernacle and they kind of take sanctuary there and then they eat what's called the bread of the presence. Now the bread of the presence is 12 loaves of bread that were set aside on the Sabbath and they were consecrated and then they were given to the priests. So this was the priest's food and it was not meant for anybody else to eat except for the priests. David and his crew, they run in there and hide and they eat the bread because they needed food at that time. They eat the bread that is for the priests. They break God's law in order to save their lives. So Jesus uses this story to teach a lesson. And this is the conclusion that Jesus draws. And then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So as Jesus is interpreting the Old Testament law, which we ought to listen to Jesus when he interprets the Old Testament, he's saying that in this situation, when David runs in and they, they eat the bread of the presence, that God's law can be broken because it saves David and his crew's life. And this is the conclusion that he draws. The Sabbath was made for humankind. And so to Jesus, when he thinks about the Old Testament laws, he thinks about the laws being given for our good. Not arbitrary laws that we have to keep, but they are actually laws that make us better. That the Sabbath, for example, is given to us so that we are better. It is for our benefit that we Sabbath. It was for David's benefit that he ate the bread of the presence. That God's law is meant, the end of God's law is to make us better. That this law is actually a gift. It's given to us for our benefit. Now that doesn't mean we get to use it any way that we want, but it means that it is for our good that he has given it. So when we talk about Sabbath, what we're talking about is a gift that's been given to us to make us better. So what is Sabbath? Well, in the Old Testament, Sabbath and rest are closely linked together. The word rest is used oftentimes almost as like a phrase, Sabbath rest. And uh, the words rest and sleep are pretty much the same word in the Old Testament. They're used interchangeably. So in the biblical worldview, in the biblical mind, the, way, the biblical mindset, Sabbath is similar to rest or to sleep, I mean, excuse me. So what is sleep? Well, we all know what we do when we sleep. We do nothing, right? We lie unconscious for seven to nine hours at a time and our bodies heal themselves. The science of sleep is really amazing. 
if you get less than six hours of sleep, uh, what I was reading this week is that seven to nine is the normal. That's what most of us should be getting is seven to nine. Some people can be as little as six, but almost nobody can sleep less than six and still have a fully functioning body and mind. So we're designed to get about seven to nine hours of sleep a night. And if we get less than seven hours of sleep, something happens. Our brains are not able to produce the necessary hormones for our bodies to operate correctly. Our brains, are not, they, they don't produce the hormones that help our digestion work well. So then we're actually not getting all the nutrients we need from foods. Our brains don't uh, produce the hormones that are required for our muscles and our joints to recover. When we get less than seven hours of sleep, studies have shown that someone who is sleep deprived, their brain function is similar or worse to someone who has a blood alcohol content higher than the legal limit. That being sleep deprived actually inhibits our brain the same way that alcohol does. It mutes everything that's going on. We aren't able to think as clearly, to process as much, make decisions as quickly, or react as well. When we sleep, our brains unleash all sorts of good stuff, uh, chemicals and hormones into our body that actually help our muscles and our joints recover. So uh, studies have shown that people who are sleep-deprived chronically over a long period of time, their muscles and bones deteriorate faster, that their bodies actually don't operate as well if they don't get enough sleep over long periods of time. Sleep is amazing, and it's really, really important for us. It keeps our bodies healthy. Uh, scientists don't really know why we sleep other than it's necessary. Uh, but of course, in a more kind of secular worldview, um, sleep doesn't really make a lot of sense to adapt and develop sleep. But of course, we would know that that's how God created us. He created us to sleep. And he created us so that our bodies heal themselves over seven to nine hours every single night, which I think is a really cool thing. But scripture also says something else about sleep that is more important than just the physical function that it does for us, although that is vital and it is important. But this is what we hear back, way back in Genesis 1. I want us to look at this passage again. God saw everything that he made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Now, if you've read the creation story, if you've read Genesis 1, you know that this is a pattern, that every day, except for the seventh day, there was evening and there was morning, the first day. God creates a little bit more, and it says there was evening and there was morning the second day. He creates a little bit more. There was evening and there was morning the third day, and so on and so forth. So from Genesis chapter 1, they have a different view of what a day is than what we do. When we think of a day, we think the day starts when we wake up. Our alarm clock rings, we have our to-do list, we get showered, we get dressed, we get in the car, we go to work, and we start our day. From a, from a biblical perspective, the day actually starts in the evening. And the Hebrews practice this in Jesus' time, and even uh, many Jewish communities to this day still practice this, that the day starts in the evening. So from a biblical perspective, the first thing you do in your day is sleep. You start your day by laying unconscious, helpless in your bed for seven to nine hours. 
from a biblical perspective, the day starts with rest. So what happens when we sleep? What do we do when we sleep? Nothing, right? We're helpless. We lay there unconscious. We do nothing. We cannot fix our to-do lists. We cannot do our to-do lists. We cannot fix any problems that come up in our work or in our personal life. We actually have to stop working, stop everything, and lie there unconscious, helpless for seven to nine hours. What happens out in the world when we sleep? Everything, doesn't it? Grass still grows. The weather patterns still happen. Animals still run around and get food and mate and make little baby animals, right? Everything happens while we sleep. We still spin around the sun. We hurtle through space. We circle around our axis. The moon circles around us. The world keeps going even when we sleep. We do nothing, but out in the world, everything continues on exactly as it is. From a biblical perspective, sleep is a way to give up control. In the Psalms, we hear over and over and over again that God gives rest to those who love him, to those who trust him. People who can't sleep well, uh, sometimes there are some chemical disorders and there needs to be uh, certain vitamins or those kinds of things to help people sleep. But in general, who has trouble sleeping? Control freaks and people with anxiety, right? People who cannot stand the thought that they have to give up control for seven to nine hours. I'm sure that you've had this experience where you lay in bed for several hours unable to fall asleep because you're thinking about all the things you have to get done. Or you're thinking about all of the things that you've said that you've done wrong the last week or that day. Or you're replaying that argument you had with your spouse, right? Anxiety and these kinds of things, they cause us not to sleep. And ultimately what scripture shows us is that's a lack of trust. And that when we trust in God, we're able to say, all right, I'm going to go to sleep now. I'm going to rest. And so we start our day giving up control of our lives. We start our day with the decision. I'm going to sleep for seven to nine hours, and God, you're going to do all the work. While I'm sleeping, you're working, and that's great. I'm going to wake up in seven to nine hours, and I'm going to see what you're up to, God. And I wonder how much that would change our day. If we wake up in the morning and instead of thinking, okay, I have to get this done and do this and have this, I have that meeting and this thing. If we woke up in the morning and we thought, okay, God, you've been at work for the last nine hours while I've been doing nothing. What are you doing? God, what works have you already put into place and how can I join you today? It's a big change in how we think about our day. Instead of waking up with all the worries and all the stresses, we think, okay, God's been at work, and now I get to join him in what he's doing. This is sleep. This is the biblical view of sleep. So that's why Jesus says here, the Sabbath was made for humankind and not humankind for the Sabbath, because Sabbath is a lot like sleep. It's taking one day out of our week and saying, all right, God, I am going to do no work and I'm going to let you do all the work. We do what God did on that seventh day. We stop what we're doing and we watch what God has done. 
we remember what God has done and we observe the work that he is doing. So the Israelites, the Hebrews, they focused really hard on the stopping part. But the stopping part isn't the most important part. The most important part is the observing, the watching and seeing what God is at work in doing. This is the key to Sabbath, is that we stop our work, we stop our hustling, we stop our to-do lists, we stop our responsibilities, productivity, efficiency. These are gods in our society, and Sabbath is not productive. It's not efficient. It's literally taking an entire day and saying, I'm not going to do anything. It's a decision to let God do his work and saying no to our work so that God can do his. That's what Sabbath is. And then we watch, we observe what God is doing. So Sabbath is primarily created for us to uh, see God, to watch God, which is why Sunday is a great day to Sabbath. Because we already have this day that we gather together as a congregation. And what do we do here when we come here on Sunday morning? Nothing, right? We sit in our pews, we sit in our chairs, and we hear God's word spoken to us, and we receive Holy Communion together. We hear about God's forgiveness, we hear his word, and we receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We do nothing at worship, which is great. What a great Sabbath activity to remember what God has done, to remember and see what God is doing in our lives. So Sunday, that's a great day to Sabbath. If you can Sabbath on Sunday, Sabbath on Sunday, because you already have built in here. So we have to, uh, on our Sabbath is about connecting with God, about remembering what he has done, about recalling his works, about worshiping him, praying, uh, devoting ourselves to that on that day. But there are other things that we can do to rest well on the Sabbath. And the other thing is to do, again, exactly what God did on the Sabbath, which is look at creation. Look at his creation. Sabbath is a great opportunity to connect with nature, to learn about God through nature. Uh, if you know my family and I, we are big recreation people. We're kind of nature buffs. We like hiking and kayaking, uh, gardening, staying busy outside. And this is a Sabbath activity because you can't control nature, can you? No, you can only watch nature. Uh, earlier this spring, uh, my family and I, we were getting really into bird watching. And so we got our little binoculars. And what we would do um, is we would go out in our front porch. And it's amazing. You, if you walk outside, um, all the birds, and all the animals, they scatter, right? They all run away. But if, you, if we sit on our front porch long enough and we wait long enough, if we stop what we're doing, all the animals start coming back out again. We can see the birds. We can see the squirrels. We can identify the birds right now. There's a family of raccoons that lives in one of our trees. So we're seeing all the little baby raccoons crawl up and down the tree. It's super cute. And so if you go and observe nature, you don't even have to really be able to hike or kayak. That's not the point. The point is seeing what God has done. You can do that at a park, out your back door, out your front door. But it does require you to stop long enough to let nature kind of reset. Because when you go out into your front yard, you disturb what's going on. And you have to stop and wait. And then you can observe what's going on. 
So a Sabbath activity is spending time out in nature. And this is another important thing to, to point out is that um, when we Sabbath, uh, it's tempting for us to try to find rest in some of the areas that uh, we think we typically find rest, which right now that's in um, Netflix or other streaming services or social media, which neither of those things are restful activities. Uh, this guy named Michael Easter, he just wrote a book called The Comfort Crisis. And he talks about how uh, we oftentimes think that we are settling down and resting when we watch television, but actually the watching television doesn't give our brains the rest that they actually need. Our brains require time where we are having zero or no um, input. So not looking at our phones, that's a Sabbath activity. Not watching the news, that's a Sabbath activity. Not having this kind of input, that's a Sabbath activity is that we are disconnecting from those things that always are charging our brains up with all this stuff. And we're stopping that and we are connecting with God. We're connecting with nature. And also important Sabbath activity is connecting with our friends, and with our family. Now, the Sabbath is not a family day, right? It's not meant for the family. It's actually meant for God. So we can gather with our family. We can gather with our friends. But the moment those things become work, become stress, it's no longer Sabbath. It's actually just adding to your to-do list instead of reflecting on what God has done. Ultimately, the Sabbath is this. Stop productivity. Stop efficiency. Stop responsibility. Give those things up for one day. And watch. Watch what God has done. Watch what God is doing. And connect with God, with nature, with your family, and with your friends. Stop and watch. Stop and watch. We are so busy. We are so busy with our kids' sports, with all the shows that we want to watch, with our social media, with our to-do lists that never seem to end. We are so busy with these things. And Sabbath is like sleep. It's saying for one day, I'm not going to look at those things. I'm not going to touch those things. I'm not going to bother with those things. And instead, I'm going to attend to God. We're going to see what he is doing. We're going to observe what he's doing. I'm going to listen to what he's saying to me. It's connecting with God, with nature, with our family, with our friends. And this is the gift. It's a gift that God gives, and he gives it to us freely. And we, as Christians, there is no threat of punishment. We are no longer living under threat of if we don't Sabbath, then God's going to strike us down. That's not the threat that we live under. The Sabbath was made for us. It's for our good. It's something that God has given to us as a free gift for us to use and to be benefited by. So when I got my guitar when I was seven years old, it took a long time for me to become proficient at that guitar at all. I didn't pick up that guitar and immediately start playing it well. It took years, two decades worth of years, for me to become at all proficient at the guitar. And Sabbath is the same way. If you might have a Sabbath, and it may, it may be a total dud. You might have a Sabbath and you think, man, that was not restful, I did not have a good time. And you know what that happens. Sometimes Sabbath... Sometimes we fail at it. But over a lifetime, 
of setting aside one day, of saying no to our work and saying yes to God over a lifetime, it changes the way that we look at the world. And it changes the way that we work. Because what happens when we start Sabbathing really well, it actually makes us better at our work. It makes us more loving spouses and parents and workers and employees and employers. That when we devote ourselves to letting God do the work and then us joining him in what he's doing, God unlocks all sorts of benefits for us. Because this Sabbath is made for us. It's made for us. So use the gift. Sabbath really well. Disconnect from your work, from your productive life, from your efficient life, from your social media, from your news, whatever it is that drains you, and connect with God. Read scripture, pray, worship, connect with your family, go outside, enjoy nature, connect with your friends, have meals together, and enjoy each other. Because this is what Sabbath is. It's a great gift for us to be used.